The CBF podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. 2020 is off to a great start for the CBF podcast with guests like Father Thomas Reese, Soon Cheng Ra, and Casey Van Norman. We also have a lot of exciting episodes ahead, including interviews with Eugene Cho, Sarah Bessie, and our week in D.C. at Advocacy in Action. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. As individuals and families across the United States continue to adjust to this new normal, many of which have lost their jobs and have been furloughed, uh, waiting for assistance checks from the United States government, um, church too finds itself in an unusual place. Uh, Many churches are facing financial crisis at a devastating rate. Um, Here to talk to me about potential assistance for congregations is the president of CBF's Benefits Board, Rob Fox and CBF's Associate Coordinator of Partnerships and Advocacy, Stephen Reeves. Guys, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks, Andy. Glad to be here. Now, we have to note that, you know, um, some of the things that we're going to talk about in this, obviously, uh, we're limited on on space and time of of how we can, um, you know, cover it. So, um, you know, before we finish, we do want to point people to um, resources on CBF's website and the Benefits Board website and other uh, partnerships that we can point people to. So we'll come back to that. So let's, let's uh, start with the first question that I have been asked most often in the last week by colleagues serving local congregations is whether or not they should apply for the payroll protection program um, of the CARES Act. But before we get to that actual question, let's back up a few steps mm. and let's talk about the CARES Act itself. 
Um, what is it? Um, how does it affect local churches? Um, Rob, let's start with you. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Well, um, let me give a brief background. You know, the CARES um, Act became law on Friday, March 27th. So since then, everyone has been working to understand and unpack what the CARES Act is. Um, the, the best summary I've heard is it really has two guiding principles. Um, the government is working hard to get cash in the hands of business and workers. That's the first thing. And the second principle is they want to do this quickly. So as we've been working with our legal team to kind of understand that, as everyone has, we need to understand those two guiding principles. Um, and the government, whenever they try to move fast and get cash out, doesn't always work, but it has actually worked pretty well, as we've seen over the last two weeks through the Small Business Administration. So the this CARES Act uh, really is $2.3 trillion being sent out in 12 key areas. But the Paycheck Protection Program is the one we're hearing most uh, about from churches. They're showing the most interest in whether they, to your question, Andy, should they apply and make that happen? Um, I'll just say there's been a lot of folks who tried to rush into this and didn't get their information right. So our team, as, along with some of the CBF's partners, have really been studying this to try to say the right things about the CARES Act. Hope that's a helpful kind of introduction. Yeah. You know, as, as you look at um, kind of the legal parameters of it, um, you know, is this, you know, I know churches are included in it, but uh, faith-based organizations, does this include other uh, religious entities with, within the U.S. or is this just, just, you know, specifically drawn towards local churches? Um, it is the goal of the Paycheck Protection Program, overall CARES Act, is to help small businesses. They want to keep those workers in place. That's why the government's sending out this money. So this is to help um, churches. This is to help nonprofits. But the overall kind of goal here is to keep people in place in their small businesses. And that's one of the unique things is there's no preference in this uh, law towards churches. And that's what has allowed us to say to local congregations, you should really explore this if it's something that you need, but you shouldn't rush into it. Um, that's our kind of quick take. Yeah. Well, should, and let's get down to the kind of brass facts about it. Should churches apply for the payroll protection program? If so, what do they need to expect about the application process? Um, what kind of reporting are they going to have to file afterwards? Um, Stephen, do you want to tackle mm -hmm. this one first? Sure. I think uh, whether or not a church should apply for it is going to be uh, their own decision. Uh, it's going to have to be something they consider given their financial picture. Um, and uh, the mechanics of the application, Rob can maybe speak to, but, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's hard to make a blanket claim as to say yes or no, they should. What I'd like to say is, you know, we as we analyze kind of the church-state separation angle, we feel comfortable that um, it is not an inherent violation of the separation of church and state. Um, and, and so folks can, can do so with a good conscience, and we might get into to that more in a little bit. But I think um, that the decision is going to be very much uh, based upon a church's own particular circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. 
And uh, I'll just add on. I, I think it, I think it really it, it may be a good option for a church. So, Andy, some of the calls we're getting are um, for churches who have um, weekday schools, preschools, and they're looking at are they going to have to furlough these workers because they can't pay for them? Um, this may be a really good option for them. There's other churches who call and say, well, you know, it looks like we're going to be fine paying our staff for the next several months, but maybe we should get in line for this just in case. That's another thing for, I think, not just the pastor or to weigh by themselves, but a key group um, of leaders in the church to really think through that. There's been others who have had bankers in their church say, hey, this is free money. We should not let free money go. That's a, that's a different piece. So in terms of the process, the, the loan application, we're encouraging everyone to talk to your local bank. Um, so, for example, CBF Church Benefits, we bank with Wells Fargo. So as a, we were exploring this process to help churches, I was in conversation uh, with our banker at Wells Fargo. Well, Wells Fargo cut off, uh, they capped their loans on Sunday night um, and missed that window. Well, yesterday at 4 p.m., I got notice that they were opening that back up. So it becomes a process of working through your local bank, which also makes it a better avenue for the church because these loans are backed by the government and may be forgiven, but you're working with a bank, which gives me a little bit personally, uh, a little bit more ease with the whole process. So we point people to the banks, Andy, for that application process. Yeah, I mean, the struggle with all this is obviously within CBF Life, congregations are um, a myriad of sizes. And, you know, I know for our local congregation, it wasn't just ministerial staff, but it's considering that we have uh, janitorial staff, we have seasonal workers, we have Mother's Day out workers, and and considering, you know, could we pay them uh, up to a certain period of time and the struggle of a furloughing or laying off and having to bring people on, um, you know, this, the struggle of all of that, I think, is a leading a lot of congregations to say, let's let's jump into this. And uh, certainly, I think a lot of churches are, are considering and and weighing and measuring all the different you know parameters to come come through this. So, you know, as far as their. Um, you know, trying to understand, uh, I know we've talked about in the past that there, this might change the relationship with the uh, church organization, with the government. What, what do we mean by that? Well, I'll speak to that a little bit. Yeah. And Rob will probably have more details, but you know, mm -hmm. anytime you uh, invite this sort of new relationship uh, between government and church or religion, we ought to be very cautious of those entanglements. Um, mm -hmm. So as you go to the bank to apply for this loan, um, the government is going to have some requirements of the bank and therefore of the church uh, of the type of documentation and financial records and looking into the financial picture of the church that the church has likely never given to the government before. Um, mm -hmm. This is a new reset uh, in that relationship. And while, I don't think the program as structured uh, of this, you know, government backed loan that comes from a bank is inherently a violation of the separation of church and state that we support. Um, it does invite a new type of relationship that um, would, should cause some reflection and pause as to 
um, that that new relationship and the entanglement that that, that that might come about. And Rob might know more about the specifics of what they're requiring, but it's going to be uh, a different type of relationship than, than they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And and that's that's a good point, Stephen. This was this was our concern early on, as I as I said, you know, we've been unpacking this is. What are the strings that are attached in term for churches in terms of getting this money that ultimately is government funding? Um, as as our legal folks have unpacked it, we haven't we haven't seen anymore. I still wonder what happens down the road if churches default on these loans. What will happen? Um, now that's that's really you know looking down the road and not fully understand if that would even happen. It. But those are things to keep in mind. I, I don't think we have a really clear answer, but there are people working on that. There's a lot more guidance kind of coming out. So um, it's a good question. I, I just think yeah, it gives people pause. Yeah, yeah. To give you pause. Absolutely. And let me let me add this too. You know, this sort of government-backed loan to inherently religious entities like churches is unprecedented, to my knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. But so are the times. <laughs> so is the... Uh, the action by the by the government essentially shutting down uh, the gathering of churches, uh, the gathering of folks. So um, this essentially mandatory closure of, of worship services is also unprecedented. And so the harm that they're trying to remedy by making this program available to churches is one that's been caused by the government action and the orders. Obviously, ultimately, it's caused by the virus and and and, and looking out for the health and protection of all, but. Um, but this uh, the unprecedented nature of this program speaks to the unprecedented times and the unprecedented action of the government itself. Yeah, that's, and, that's and it'd be hard for us to to go too uh, down periscope here on the theological implications around um, separation of church and state. But you know, what what are the concerns? Are there concerns here? Um, take us a little bit deeper there, Stephen. Yeah. So I think one of the classic things, classic cases that, that even at the time of the founding, our, um, the, our system was concerned about was a taxpayer, mandated taxpayer funding of religion. Um, that is the classic separation where my tax dollars should not go to promote uh, and prop up faith I don't believe in. And that's important. And that's something we have held fast to, and it applies across a lot of different areas. And that is, you know, what I would consider a violation of the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment, where Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment. If you start paying churches out of taxpayer dollars, that looks like an establishment. And so this is um, one of the things that our type of Baptists um, have been most focused on when we say we we support the separation of church and state. And so that is uh, whenever there's money there's going to be very, very close scrutiny. But on the other side, I'll say back to um, the government's action regarding churches right now and saying you can't gather with more than 10 people. You know, that's a free exercise clause concern, right? Where you have, mm-hmm. uh, that's the other part of the, the First Amendment. The government has to have a very, very good reason to prohibit the free exercise of someone's religion. And most folks would say gathering together as a body, gathering as as believers uh, together on Sunday is inherent to their free exercise. What's going on mm-hmm. now, I think, is 
the cases being made, they have a very good reason to prevent that, and that's essentially to prevent mass casualties. And so you're weighing these these uh, two um, competing interests of the government of not wanting to prohibit free exercise, but also their first duty for the health and safety and protection of our people. And so um, both of those things deserve um, close scrutiny and thought, and we're uh, in unprecedented times, really. It's certainly a, a fascinating question, especially for local church leaders and members to consider. Um, you know, I would guess that most of our people are not going to think twice about cashing that check that comes from the government for their families. Um, you know, people are not going to turn away Medicare and Social Security uh, contributions at, at this time. Uh, but with we as Baptists, all of a sudden when you start talking about the government giving our our church money, it, it raises all sorts of um, questions for people, which I think is a healthy thing for us as Baptists. At times, at other times, it just kind of leads us into a, a death spiral of separation, but that's another topic for another time. So what, what are some other financial resources that churches can tap into during this time if this specific um, you know, payroll piece is uncomfortable for them? Um, Rob, are you aware of right. anything? Right. Um, well, yeah, I can mention um, a few. There's um, part of the CARES Act is the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. Now, this allows churches in some states to access these unemployment benefits that traditionally aren't eligible. The issue here is that it is based upon the state. So, for example, early on, I had a church in Alabama contact us saying, you know, we're interested in the, the PPP loan, but the way in which our uh, payroll system works, we may have to put some people into unemployment first before they can we get that loan. It's just a timing issue. Um, that, as I understand it, some churches in Georgia have reached out. That's not available in Georgia, but it may be available in some other pieces um, and states. And I would just say um, we're... Another piece of the CARES Act is this recovery rebate, which um, is supposed to be issued by direct deposit beginning next week. People waiting on these checks that um, if you're, you're eligible, it could be uh, $1,200 for an individual, $2,400 for a married couple, and an additional $500 per child, just a quick overview. Um, if you're waiting on that check to come by mail, uh, it could take 14 days. So. Um, that's another piece of relief, not generally connected with the church, but per individual. Um, and then there, there's an option for folks to take distributions from their retirement plan up to $100,000 if it's related to a coronavirus purpose. Um, this is not something we encourage folks to do because you're really robbing from your future in our humble opinion. But this is um, options for people. And if, if individuals are getting down the road uh, farther and they can't make ends meet, um, this, is, this is why the government's allowing this. Again, the whole purpose of this CARES Act is trying to get money into individuals and businesses' hands over these next several months and to do it quickly. So those are a couple other pieces, Andy. Yeah, let me add one more real quickly um, at the risk of uh, getting out of my depth quickly. But prior to the CARES Act, <laughs> the Family First uh, Corona Response Act passed, which extended the Family Medical Leave Act to employers with fewer than 50 folks. So it typically wouldn't cover churches, 
but in this case, uh, the, the churches could receive a payroll tax credit for extending those um, those benefits of uh, of the Family Medical Leave Act to their folks too. So it's it's uh, worth looking into as well. Yes, absolutely. I know this seems like an odd question, um, you know, but certainly we are are called to love our neighbor as ourselves and. I know that there's going to be people uh, listening to this that um, they are maintaining their job, both spouses, uh, they're maintaining a sense of well-being, and yet they're going to get a, a check in the mail from the government. Are there some creative ways that um, you've been discussing with other people of how they can use the, that resource to help their community, to help their congregation, to help their neighbors? Hmm. Um, I, yeah, that's a great, Stephen, do you want to? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to that yeah. a little bit. I think, um, yeah. that is a great point, Andy. And I think, um, it's a good moment just to say that we understand, um, that, you know, folks are first going to focus on their family and make sure they're okay and they're, and, and they're, that they feel secure. And then we also hope they focus on their congregation and continue giving to their churches. And that's the place that that might that happen. We, we understand that. But I think even in these moments of crisis, and maybe even more so, it's critical that we look beyond the walls of the church and beyond our own family to those most vulnerable in society. So um, I think I've, I had a great discussion with some of our folks who are advocating for immigrants and refugees in this time that, you know, a lot of them are not going to receive those stimulus checks. And so what can, can we encourage and what should we be doing as folks who are called to love our neighbor and welcome the stranger uh, with our, uh, with, with, how can we be, be good stewards of this, uh, of, of these stimulus funds, knowing that some of the most vulnerable in our society before the, the virus are still the most vulnerable, even more so now, and are not eligible for some of these government benefits. I just do. I want to point out that Stephen, that'll probably be the first and only time that on the CBF podcast, the uh, the terminology or the phrase "focus on the family" is is used. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for making hey, that yeah. happen. Right. I just won't even comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Stephen, I know uh, I know you've mentioned uh, that uh, this first go around of the CARES Act, which is I think for a lot of people, it's like. I think that brings into the reality of, uh, wait, hold on, there's going to be a, a second go at this. You know, are we really going to be in this mm-hmm. that long? And I, I think we don't know. Um, but I know you've discussed that this first go around um, doesn't have enough for essential programs across the country. So I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper into what you hope uh, will be covered in this uh, second go around um, you know, for, for yeah. organizations, for other entities that, that are necessary within our communities. Yeah, thanks, Andy. I appreciate that. And I think that um, we are hearing from our friends and coalition partners of other denominations and, and uh, religious groups that do a lot of work in Washington that, you know, the time is now to be thinking about the next round, but there is something that more will happen, more government action will be necessary. And for CBS advocacy, you know, we, we try and continue keep a focus on the most vulnerable among us. And in this case, I'm thinking particularly about the hungry, uh, the immigrants, and those susceptible to predatory lending. And so um, some of the things that we were a part of coalition efforts to get in the first CARES Act that didn't make it, we will be raising for our folks to 
to advocate for this next go around and working in coalitions to do so. And so some of those specific uh, items are increasing SNAP benefits. Um, uh, hunger was already a problem in the U.S. And if you didn't realize that or believe it, it certainly is now. If you haven't seen the video of cars mm -hmm. lining up at food pantries, it is uh, heartbreaking. And so more should, can and should be done to increase SNAP benefits, which is, of course, food stamp program. Second, to expand who's eligible for stimulus itself, uh, regardless of their immigration status. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, they made a choice to, to base it upon Social Security numbers and not uh, tax identification numbers, which is how many folks uh, uh, not citizens of different immigration statuses uh, fill out their tax forms. And they decided not to make those folks eligible. And so we think that's a problem. We think this virus um, is going to impact everyone, and particularly some, some of the folks working in the service industry, which are often highly uh, populated by, by immigrants. And, and it should certainly be available for them. And so we want to expand the programs for, for folks, no matter their status. And then finally, um, you know, loan sharks are smelling blood in the water. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. rely upon folks being financially vulnerable at all times, more so now. So many of us are mm -hmm. going to become financially vulnerable in the coming months that it's a boom for their industry. And so yeah. we think it is the perfect time for Congress to act and we asked, we were asking them to put into place a 36% interest rate cap, APR cap, for the entire country. This is a historic usury limit that is still in place in many states, uh, but not all states. And it is also already applies to our active duty military. And we think if they're deserving of protection, uh, so are there other American families. And so especially now when folks are vulnerable and folks who may have never had to walk into a payday lender or an auto title lender, for help before may do it now and find out just what a trap it is. And so mm -hmm. of all the other things that folks are going to be working on for us, those three things, um, increase aid for the hungry, for the immigrant and the stranger among us, and for those uh, that, that are uh, susceptible to usurious predatory loans. So, you know, for listeners, uh, obviously this is uh, wonderful for them to, to hear, um, what can they do to advocate for these inclusions? Well, I think first you're gonna have to pay close attention because these things are moving fast. And we are uh, gonna be working as best as we can to educate folks on the timing and the moment of advocacy. So right now, there's a few folks basically negotiating this in Washington. At some point in the coming months, they will call everyone back to vote on and there's gonna be a short window for, for that immediate advocacy. Um, you can go to our website, uh, cbf.net slash advocacy, and there, there's especially some very timely things around immigrant and refugee advocacy right now. We have a new statement up. You can find that on, on their CBF blog as well. But also, if you have relationships with members of Congress or senators, they are at home in their district right now, most likely. Reach out to their in-district mm -hmm. office um, you know, in-person meetings are probably unlikely, obviously, but make the call to the in-district meeting and say, hey, uh, we know that some more is coming. Here are some things we really want you to consider. Make sure they know you're a person of faith. You're calling out of your faith commitment and that, you know, you're, you are raising these issues in your church and your Sunday school, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or the pastor 
um, it's important to make that contact uh, now and, and say, here's what we're really concerned about, and then to pay attention for that moment when we really need a lot of activity in the coming months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Rob, um, you know, in editing, I'll provide everybody with your uh, personal cell phone number and then call you for, you know, a cash loan out of your personal yeah. bank account. Um, besides, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, besides that, where, where can people, uh, you know, ministers, churches, lay leaders, where can they go for more resources uh, about all the things we've discussed? Sure. We're, um, we've created a special COVID-19 uh, web page that's becoming our repository. So it's churchbenefits.org slash COVID-19. That's a place where you'll find lots of fact sheets around the CARES Act, just, just different pieces there. And I would just add to what Stephen was saying, what we're calling CARES uh, Act 2.0 is moving pretty quickly. And um, we're hoping to see um, an increase for the payroll protection program, possibly $250 billion for churches and nonprofits. Should they choose to apply, they could do that because there's lots of caps right now and I think churches are feeling like they've missed it, but there could be an opportunity. I'll say one last word of um, kind of caution as we talk about predatory lenders. What we've noticed is there's a lot of bad actors moving into the space around this uh, payroll protection program loans. And they're saying to congregations, hey, pay us $500. We'll fill out the application for you and get you in the front of the line. We're saying be really cautious because um, as predatory lenders are coming after individuals, so there are bad actors coming in spaces that are a threat to our churches and nonprofits. So just be advised and be careful with that. So if you go to the church benefits board as well, click on the about page and scroll about midway down and you'll see uh, a handsome devil named Rob Fox making the front pillars of First Baptist Decatur look really good. So uh, if you're going to go to the website for Thank resources, you, go to that page as well. And, and I have a real face for radio too. Yeah. Yeah. See, you're, you're lucky. None of the rest of us, you know, get a, get a staff picture page on the CBF website. So there's a reason why you're on there. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, more importantly, thank you for uh, your leadership and expertise in these unusual times. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Just as a reminder, you can visit cbf.net backslash COVID-19 for more information and resources about how churches are responding to this crisis. Also on that page, you can find more information from our partnership with the Baptist Joint Committee that offers an assessment of the stimulus, the CARES Act, for churches and faith-based nonprofits. That's cbf.net backslash COVID-19. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. As we continue our conversation on financial crisis and assistance for local churches, we welcome onto the podcast Nathan Edwards. Nathan is the founder and managing member of Missional Business Services. Nathan, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you for having me. Now tell us a little bit about your work at Missional Business Services. Uh, Missional Business Services is a firm that offers uh, financial and other administrative support to churches and nonprofit organizations on an outsourced basis. So you can think of it sort of as a fractional business administrator or uh, executive pastor. Uh, We're a firm of uh, CPAs and other business uh, professionals, and our goal really uh, is to help churches and nonprofits uh, tend to their financial and other administrative functions uh, with qualified, competent uh, support without having to pay the premium associated with having that expertise uh, on staff full time. Well, for context of our listeners, too, um, you do work alongside of um, many CBF churches, along with uh, several CBF uh, state level organizations. You've also been a workshop leader um, at General Assembly. And so, you know, as we look at this crisis we face, um, um, it's interesting time for churches. Um, There's an interesting statistic I was uh, looking at over the weekend. says that churches that are already doing online uh, streaming and online giving are already doing extremely well. whereas churches that don't do it well and have never done it are, are suffering some as low as 30 to 40 percent um, of typical receipts uh, or taking in of revenue uh, from their congregation so what advice would you give to congregations in the area of, of online giving um, how, how should churches think about interacting with their donor base during this crisis uh, sure, that's a that's a really good point, Andy. Um, there are many churches that have, uh, even before this crisis, were uh, live streaming and offering other ways to connect with their uh, membership. You know, as times have changed, uh, the way that we do church uh, has changed. It's not just you go into uh, your church building Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Uh, that uh, that's not necessarily the case as it as it once was. And so churches that have um, begun to reach their members and their communities through those resources ahead of this were certainly in a better position once once this hit and when we were uh, now unable to meet. Uh, in those ways. It was no longer a choice not to meet that those ways. It's, it's now required in many, in many cases. Um, specifically with the electronic giving side, uh, many churches have embraced uh, the technology that allows us to do that. Uh, many churches have, have also not done that uh, for various reasons. Um, but it is important to remember uh, for church leaders that uh, that is the way people uh, engage in commerce. 
and engage with uh, service providers, that they engage with their uh, uh, consumer goods. That's the way that people exchange money these days. And so uh, whether we're in a crisis or not, the times uh, and the circumstances have uh, have necessitated adapt adaptability in this. Uh, think about many, many years ago, the way that you conducted trade and you exchanged uh, valuable items as you got together and you exchanged livestock or, you know, then you uh, uh, other uh, bartering means. And that has morphed into uh, accepting cash, paper as a, as a, uh, a source of value, a representation of value. And then as uh, cash uh, grew and the, the technology grew, then it became, we accepted checks uh, where you could write whatever amount you wanted from that as a representation of value. And so now with uh, online bill pay, with credit cards, with debit cards, text to give, it's just the way that people uh, exchange value. And so churches uh, who depend uh, on the contributions of their members and other constituents, I think they are, uh, they should be very motivated even outside of a crisis like this uh, to be sure that they have those mechanisms in, in place. There are a number of uh, reputable uh, service providers uh, for credit card, for uh, online bill pay and things like that. So, uh, clearly, we're seeing that the churches who are not relying on uh, cash going into the offering plate every Sunday uh, are not solely relying on cash going into the offering plate on Sunday mornings. Uh, they're much better positioned to weather a, a crisis like we're dealing with now when we can't pass the plate on Sunday mornings. Yeah, and good old-fashioned stamp, uh, mailing in uh, checks right. has been very successful uh, for for a lot of churches as well. Um, you know, I, I found that many of our CBF churches have, have are encouraging people, you know, it, it's a challenging time, obviously, if you're in a congregation, especially with um, the fact that so many people have lost their jobs in this country uh, over the last several weeks, but churches that uh, have members that are in a position to consider uh, donating their check that they're receiving from the government, um, not just to the church, but maybe considering other nonprofits uh, that are doing good work in their area. Um, and certainly I know CBF North Carolina, along with CBF Global, and many of our state regions have created resources on their websites for churches to um, not have to figure things out from scratch, you know, not have to recreate the wheel, I guess, for lack of better terms of how to start online giving. I know some state and regions have even um, allowed churches to send people to their websites to, in a sense, uh, kind of funnel the money from that state regional organization back to the church while they're trying to set up their online giving piece. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, even, even in uncertain times, you know, donors still want to feel you know, uh, needed that they're contributing to a, a greater good by and large. You know, this is 
we can talk about the the spiritual disciplines and and you can frame it in the in the term of an obligation but by and large people want to contribute and one of the things that we're seeing in this crisis is uh, maybe uh, ironically enough in this period of isolation the desire to contribute to a larger purpose uh, we're seeing and so it's important for leaders for pastors um, to be very sensitive to be very pastoral uh, when it comes to uh, understanding what we're dealing with many many of our members have uh, lost their jobs or at, at the very least many are facing uncertainty uh, you know once this does sort of uh, clear a little bit what is that going to look like none of us really uh, knows and so there's a there's a high level of anxiety but we're also seeing a very a very high sense of people want to contribute to the larger uh, purpose. And so um, I think it's important for leaders to, to be sensitive to the uncertainty, but also to be clear about what their needs are during this uncertainty and what they'll be on the other side of it. Uh, the need for pastoral care uh, and for support from a church is, is going to be greater uh, I think on the other side of this and, and uh, oftentimes that does take financial resources, you know, even in, even in a crisis like we're dealing with both the ministry and your mission uh, continue and in many cases expand. So um, I, I think that that's, it's important for pastors, both in this circumstance and in general, it's very important for them to be very clear in their ask. Um, uh, people still want to feel like they're contributing and it's okay for pastors and leaders. It's important for pastors and leaders to say, we still need uh, your gifts, your talents, your resources, and, and your finances. We need your financial support. Um, doing that with an added layer of sensitivity for uh, the current climate and this anxiety, I think is very, very important. Hmm. Well, this crisis has certainly put into perspective a lot of things um, in our personal lives, and the church is, is not immune to that either. Um, maybe things we once thought were important, both with our time and our finances, maybe isn't as important as we originally thought. How are you seeing churches pivot during this crisis by reducing expenses while still carrying out their vision and mission? You know, that's a, that's a really good, uh, really good point. You know, not everything that churches do from a mission and from a ministry perspective requires money. A, a lot of it does, but there's a lot of, um, reconsidering okay this was in the budget but in light of current circumstances we're not sure what our what our 2020 budget is going to look like in receipts or expenses and so uh, churches are really having to ask uh, themselves are we being the best stewards of our resources you know 
many churches in uh, fall of 2019 uh, sat down and they said, okay, here's what we anticipate our uh, receipts being, and here are our major areas of ministry. Here's how we're going to allocate those resources. Uh, just like most everything else in this environment, all of that is off the table now. We are dealing with a totally uh, new dynamic. And so churches uh, and organizations are really having to go back and say, is this really the best use of our resources as we know they're needed now? And so uh, I think that it's important. I keep using this term pastoral, you know, don't, uh, don't minimize the emotional and the mental and the spiritual uh, uh, stress that this is putting on our, on our members and on our staff. Uh, don't minimize that, but we have to understand that there are practical implications of this as well. And so, uh, a lot of leaders are having to ask themselves very difficult questions of, okay, our resources were already limited. Now we think that they may even be further limited. And in light of that, how is it that we can best disciple our people, you know, in our congregations? That's uh, hopefully a, a large area of, of focus is how do we train and teach our people uh, in the spiritual disciplines in, in which we're, we're wanting to expand. And so, you know, it, it may be uh, delaying the purchase of, a, of uh, an experimental program. I don't mean experimental, but something uh, new uh, that you, you hadn't tried before. Maybe, maybe what you already have could be revisited. Uh, that's a way that, that people are doing, uh, this, it, it really is asking each leader, each person responsible for, uh, financial expenditures and physical and emotional expenditures as well. These investments, is this really the most appropriate use of our resources at this time. I think, I think it's a mistake for churches and for organizations just to put their pencils down and say, okay, no more of this. It's just a, a rethinking of, okay, how might we need to do this different in light of our present uh, restraints? So that's on the, that's on the, sort of those variable expenses that go into your ministries and your programs. And then there's also uh, the very practical application of how do we minimize our overhead? Um, what is it that we can uh, reduce? Even something as uh, what's a reasonable level to adjust our thermostat so that we're not heating or cooling a large building that we can't even uh, occupy for a period of time. Um, what can we unplug? What can we turn off? What, you know, these types of, uh, of things um, in, in some other situations, you may need to go to your 
to your vendors and say, um, you know, we're facing uncertain times and can you work with us on this, <clears throat> excuse me, this service contract or this payment schedule? Um, you know, we want to fulfill our obligations and, and uh, fulfill our commitments to you. But can we be creative in how we do that in light of the present uh, circumstances? I think that it's it's very important for churches to be honest with themselves uh, as leaders are having to ask this these difficult questions. Um, you know, it, it's not unlike what we're doing in our own homes. It's uh, if we're facing uncertainty about jobs and, and compensation uh, in our own personal situations, we start to look around and say, well, what, what could we limit? What w might we do without? And I think churches uh, need to do that as well. And it's important for church leaders to communicate that uh, with their members. You know, you're asking them to be good stewards, to be faithful uh, givers of that, of, of their resources to the church. And it's important for them to know that in turn, the church leaders are being good stewards with, with their uh, generous and faithful resources that they're giving. We're asking difficult questions um, and we are doing our best to be the best stewards uh, of what we've been uh, given in, in crises and just in general, being good financial stewards is what allows us to continue our ministry and our mission for the long term. And so that's that's an important principle uh, to keep in mind at all times. Uh, it's just uh, this is sort of serving as a reminder that we need to maybe be a little bit more focused uh, on those areas. No, no one is asking uh, you to look into a crystal ball to tell us the future, but but how do you think this crisis will impact churches in the long term? Wow, that's that's a a really good question. You know, I've I've talked with a number of our of our clients and other friends about about this. Um, I think that there is uh, going to be great excitement in churches because in many settings a uh, church is going to be the first place where people will be able to gather again uh in groups you know many many places i know here in in our state we have already made the call that you know public schools will be closed for the remainder of the of the semester in the school year uh, i know many uh uh, conferences and large group gatherings have been canceled. Um, and so as this thing hopefully lifts sooner rather than later, um, churches will likely be the first place that people can gather. And so um, what I really hope is that people uh, have been, have been longing for an opportunity to, to gather They've been longing for a sense of something greater than themselves through this crisis and that there will be a time of celebration uh, within the church. Uh, nobody knows. I hope that that will 
not be just an immediate impact, but I hope that that will be a longer term uh, result of this is that the need for the people, uh, for the body of Christ to gather together is very real. It talks about that in scripture and we're seeing that in our own human nature, the longing to be together. And so uh, I hope that that even in the midst of what is certain to be a great deal of anxiety, economic and social and other forms, is that within the church there is um, uh, a significant opportunity for celebration as we are able to gather again to uh, greet each other in person uh, and really to celebrate uh, the goodness uh, that God has shown uh, to us even in the midst of some very confusing uh, times. Uh, I hope that churches will embrace that opportunity uh, and we'll look forward to that, that time of celebration. Um, you know, churches, churches may look different, uh, may look very different. Uh, churches who have had to start doing some of this uh, streaming and uh, online offerings like we've talked about earlier uh, may need to rethink how to incorporate that uh, development and that inclusion of technology and other means of reaching uh, their communities, uh, a time for great creativity in how we utilize that. But I hope that this will not give people an excuse, another excuse uh, to avoid meeting together because there is something so wonderful uh, about that. So I hope that there is a great deal of excitement a great deal of uh, anticipation and celebration that comes when we can finally gather and a great deal of gratitude uh, for how uh, the Lord sustained us through these times, for how the Lord comforted us uh, through these times, uh, fully recognizing that many people have been affected by this both uh, financially and socially, but also uh, emotionally. There will be many among us uh, who are helping our friends and our church members grieve uh, the loss of a loved one, either through this or during this time when we weren't able to do that before. Uh, uh, personally, I know of several of of uh, my friends who have gone on to be with the Lord in this time, and and it there's no closure, there's no opportunity for corporate grief and for corporate comfort. So the dynamics of what church pews will feel like um, on the other side of this are are very difficult to uh, predict. I expect there will be a high level of varying emotions as we are able to come together again. And I hope that that will stick for the long term, uh, not just in the few weeks uh, after this thing lifts. So I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm excited uh, about what, what the church has to offer from so many different aspects of this once, uh, once we're able to gather together again. 
you know, they're saying this crisis could be the end of high fives and handshakes. You know, I don't know what we as, as good Christians are going to do with Paul's recommendation to greet each other with holy kisses. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> True. You can stay connected with Nathan and Missional Business Services by visiting mbservicesllc.net. Nathan, thank you for bringing a lot of practical wisdom to this very unusual crisis. Thank you, Andy, for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.